This is Pamela Kuhn, and the curtain is now up on Center Stage, the show about the arts and the artists behind their work. America is home to many international piano prodigies, but not all of them have been invited to continue studies here by a titan of the piano world, Emmanuel Axe, and few have been inspired by the worlds of black holes and gravitational waves. But my guest today is one such young man, and he has the added crown of being the 2018 winner of the prestigious Honin's International Piano Competition. I am speaking of Nicholas Namaratze, a pianist who has something to say through his well-rounded vision of each musical piece that he lives within. So it is no surprise that the Honin's competition, which takes place every three years, has proudly awarded Nicholas Namaratze the Laureate Prize. As the Calgary-based competition proudly boasts, their competition discovers and nurtures complete artists for the 21st century. And with his curiosity, sense of wonder, and fleshing out of the music that he tackles, we see the complete artist emerging. The New York Times says of this artist, sparkling, sensitive, and coloristic. The Wall Street Journal has called Nicholas Namaratze's playing simply gorgeous. And his own teacher, Emmanuel Axe, calls him an extraordinary artist. I am thrilled to have Nicholas Namaratze with me today on Center Stage. Good morning and welcome, Nico, for being with us. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here and thank you for the lovely intro. Oh, you're most welcome. I'm actually relieved to see that you are mortal. Oh, well. Because it's 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 yeah, it's it's a useful feature. It- <laughs> A useful feature. Already, you have climbed so many mountains and done so well, so many international competitions, now the winner of the Honens. Um, Yeah. Are you feeling pretty good about this? Yes, of course I am. Um, I mean, I'm still coming to terms with with the implications of this prize and and everything it's going to bring, of course, because um, uh, along with the cash prize, um, I get this three-year artist development program. And and that's really what's so incredible about this competition. And um, I'm really starting to see um, just how much of a jumpstart it is going to give my career. So, so can you be more specific about what the Honin's competition is going to offer you and how they nurture you? Well, so uh, they give management and... Um, they will be organizing many concerts for me uh, around the globe. I w- am also working with uh, an extraordinary manager here in New York, together with the Honans team. Um, I will be getting mentorship, a lot of guidance from from the Honans team. Uh, we will be uh, promoting what I'm doing um, in a number of ways and with different avenues. And um, really putting me together with different teams of people that will help uh, my career in many meaningful ways, whether it is with uh, preparing things like press kits and mm-hmm. and those kinds of materials, or establishing important relationships with concert organizers and conductors. I mean, this is really the most important facet of beginning one's you know career, career and one's life in music mm-hmm. as a performer. And I just uh, couldn't be luckier for the opportunities that lie ahead. This is so wonderful because these are the things, these are the business things that young emerging artists need to have their hands on. It's been given to you now. Um, Absolutely. And Honus is very clear and pragmatic and 
they understand what the artist role should be in the 21st century very well mm-hmm. from a number of perspectives. So this whole idea of the complete artist is very much a response to the world we live in today, a world in which performers should be comfortable engaging with their audiences verbally, where mm-hmm. where performers should be ready to go out and engage with new audiences, uh, a world where com- where uh, performers should be able to derive inspiration from a variety of sources and show this through their piano playing and don't just sit and practice 12 hours a day in exactly. a practice room exactly. and, you know, let their existence really be limited to that. Uh, so that's how they approach the question from one end, but from the other end, in terms of actually promoting and marketing and doing all this kind of stuff, which... which um, is an absolutely necessary part of what one does, Honus is really pulling out all the stops for their laureate and making sure that their winner really gets these essential opportunities to give them a strong foothold in in this very, very volatile world. Mm -hmm. That's right. You need that PR, don't you? You you really do. You really do. So where where are you from originally? Well, I was born in Georgia, the country. (laughs) Not the state. Yes, yes. um, But um, my family moved to Budapest when I was only a few months old. So I grew up in Hungary. And um, my musical training began in Hungary. And it was a very particular kind of musical training, and I, you know, grew up on a diet of many great Hungarian composers, such as Bartok and Ligeti and Kurtag, mm-hmm. um, as well as Liszt, of course. But everyone plays Liszt. But um, yes, I had a quite unique um, uh, musical upbringing, so to speak, and I think this very much informed um, some aspects of of um, my artistic profile, especially my composing, actually, even uh-huh. more so than, than as a pianist. But but how were you drawn to music? Were your parents musicians, or were they just offering you that platform? So interestingly enough, uh, my father is a constitutional lawyer. My, my oh. mother is a social scientist. So non-musicians, but my mother did play as a child, and and that's definitely where where um, the musical talent came from. Did, did I read that you were always drawn to listening to operatic recordings? As yes, child? yes. Actually, as an infant, I'd get stuck to, to the record player listening to Verdi and Wagner, and really? they could not pull me away from it. And then I had varying musical interests, actually, in my childhood before I actually began playing the piano at the age of seven. That was my first instrument and the first time I started learning mm-hmm. music actively. But until then, I had many musical obsessions, including things like, you know, the Beatles and ACDC for a period of time. So my, my tastes were much less conservative mm-hmm. as a young child than they were. Well, that's normal. After I actually began playing the piano, after which classical music was pretty much all I was interested in. Mm-hmm. And it's still pretty much the case. I mean, I do appreciate other other musical forms and, and jazz especially, but mm-hmm. but... I still very much live within the classical music world. I only play classical music. Many of my colleagues are very comfortable playing jazz and all that, but mm-hmm. I'm not one of them. Mm-hmm. I'm okay. not one of them. <laughs> you can admire it, but you don't I have to partake. I admire it, but, but I don't It is a very complex form. So oh, when, absolutely. what was the moment when you first realized that this was going to be your life? 
I think pretty much as soon as I started playing, it became very clear that this is something I want to be doing. You were quite young. Yes, I was seven, but things really accelerated. You know, it's very interesting. Um, once I got to college age, mm-hmm. um, so I was graduating high school, the only decision that I really had to make was, do I go to a conservatory or do I do a double degree with music and something else? Mm-hmm. I hadn't really thought of, you know, not doing music. Mm-hmm. So I went the conservatory route and I very much regretted it. <gasps> I very much. <laughs> Why? Well, so, I mean, so interestingly enough, I realized that all these other things that I had been doing were making me a better musician and pianist. Ah, oh, okay. And sitting and having nothing else to do but practice was not doing me any favors. Mm-hmm. So actually, the best thing that I got from my undergraduate studies mm-hmm. was actually the compulsory... Uh, philosophy, aesthetics, and ethics classes that I had to take at the university. Mm-hmm. I felt that, you know, that was perhaps the most enriching experience. And that enriched your music, yes. enriched so, you as an not, not because I wasn't interested enough in what I was doing and I needed other things to distract myself. I was simply a better musician thanks to all these other things. That's fantastic I, to hear. And, and, and that's why then I, I, I made sure to take my non-musical education into my own hands and and read a lot and do all that. And and since then, I've been making up for this in many ways. (laughs) I mean, I recently was taking classes in Colombia on subjects like... um, There was one class on, say, neuroscience and Buddhism, which I found fascinating, Mm -hmm. for example. Mm -hmm. It's that that left-brain activity with you, isn't it? Right. The the balance. It it very much is. And um, I only started composing a few years ago, but I realized once I started that this is something I should have been doing all along. Oh, okay. And I did scribble a lot as a child, but then it kind of fell to the wayside in my teenage years. Um, And now that I'm back to it, I feel that I'm simply not only a better musician, but even a better pianist when I'm doing these other things I as can well. imagine that's true. Yeah. And I, I've read that you have been influenced, of course, by your folk music oh, yes. from Georgia. How, how has that influenced you in your performing? It's influenced me less in my performing than in my composing. So it was something I always listened to growing up. Mm-hmm. And I don't say this out of any nationalist fervor, but I really do think that Georgian folk music is one of the musical wonders of the world. Really? Why? Um, because it is a musical tradition that came to tonal harmony from a completely different route, and actually earlier than tonal ha- harmony became established in Western Europe. Oh, okay. Because what's very interesting about uh, Georgian folk music is the relative lack of instrumental music. It was almost entirely vocal. Okay. And that meant that the tuning system had very little to do with what we would call, you know, well or equal tempering. Right. Because, of course, if one gets a string and then splits it in half and then into a quarter, one will get the series of overtones. Of course. But uh, in Georgian folk music, there is no octave. There's no stable octave. Mm -hmm. The most stable interval is the third. Mm Mm-hmm. And you stack two-thirds on top of each other and you get the triad. Mm-hmm. So there was triadic harmony in Georgian folk music in the 11th century, in the 10th, 11th century. Interesting. Um, where we still had organum in, in, in um, 
you know, doubling and mm-hmm. fifths for, mm-hmm. for a few more centuries before, before tonal harmony really became established in, 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 in Western Europe. So, so it's, it's a very different approach to tonal harmony, of course. Okay. Um, or I'm using this word tonal because there are clear, you know, tonal elements, but I perhaps triadic would be a slightly right. more, you know, precise term for it. And also Georgian folk music has a number of other features that's fascinating. The country is very mountainous, mm-hmm. so each region ha- you know, had little communication with neighboring regions, so mm-hmm. there's great diversity. Each region has such mm. an individual style of folk music, and they're wildly different. And the other thing is that it's incredibly complex. Georgian polyphony can be... We can have four-part harmony. There's great independence among the lines, and the the complexity of the way in which they interact and the resulting simultaneities, the harmonies that you hear, is quite astonishing. And the vocal virtuosity that is required I to perform imagine. this is imagine. also quite astonishing. So um, as you know, this had been a part of my musical life you know, throughout my entire life, mm-hmm. but when I started composing, that's really when it began exerting an influence on my on my activities because it, of course, influenced the kind of music I was writing and and perhaps not to the extent that I started transcribing Georgian folk songs, though I did um, do that as well. But but certain aspects of the way it treats polyphony and counterpoint certainly very much influenced my my own approach. Very very interesting. I like this. Did you take these ideas to John Corleano, who you studied composition with? Oh yes, and I did work on one piece with him actually, a, a sonata for violin and piano, which is one of the pieces of mine that are perhaps most closely related to Georgian folk mm-hmm. music. Mm-hmm. So he certainly got to hear a lot of Georgian folk music, which I would <laughs> take and show him. I, I tend to do this a lot. You know? That's a treat, I would and, think. And, and, so, and he certainly witnessed or saw this music through my lens, yeah, so to yeah. say, and, and, and saw how it was that I thought about this, how I analyzed it, and what it was that I derived from it in my own music. This is really interesting to me because you moved to Budapest so soon. Yes. And this stayed with you, the, this element of your homeland. Oh, certainly. I mean, uh, Georgian is still my mother tongue, and mm-hmm. I speak Georgian with my parents, mm-hmm. and I still felt Georgian. Yeah. I'm I'm not really one for very great national identity. I if someone asked me what am I, I'd probably say I'm I'm a European New Yorker. That's <laughs> you know what I feel like more than anything. So so uh but I certainly do feel Georgian. I, I do because that is the kind of um perhaps because of the music actually as much as anything Mm -hmm. because I was so drawn to Georgian folk music and of course Georgian folk dance but there was this connection with with the folk music that I felt was very strong and that was one of the things that tied me very strongly to the country I was born in interestingly enough. But these sensory experiences leave an indelible mark on us as musicians. Oh absolutely. It it is inescapable. Now when did you first meet Emmanuel Axe? Interestingly enough I, I met him as a teenager in in Budapest, uh, I played for him, and that's when he said, you know, come over to, to Juilliard. Um, I didn't move 
for my undergraduate for a number of reasons, but I, I mm-hmm. came for my master's, and I've been, I've been in New York ever since. Were you excited when he approached you? Oh, way? yes. I mean, I, I, I had admired him. He had been an idol of mine for, for so long that, of course, that it was a dream come true. Mm-hmm. We're glad you're here. Let's listen to more of Nicholas Namaratse in the third movement of the Brahms Second Piano Concerto. This is the Calgary Philharmonic Orchestra with Karina Kanalakis conducting. read that you've been influenced as a composer by black holes, um, uh, other physical phenomena, uh, like the Einstein's theory of relativity, gravitational waves. Where does this come from, Nicholas? Well, that was actually for a very specific commission uh, from the Chelsea Music Festival, a very interesting festival in New York City. Mm -hmm. Um, And they had one season where the theme was gravity because it was an anniversary of Newton's laws of, of, of mm-hmm. physics, mm-hmm. Uh, the publication of, 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 of his um, thesis. And they wanted me to write a piece that would somehow tie in with the theme. So I tried to come up with a way of doing this that would perhaps not be too contrived or forced <laughs> and find a way to translate these physical concepts into musical ideas in a meaningful manner. And one model I looked to for this was Ligeti, because he was very much influenced by many mathematical concepts, such Mm -hmm. as fractals or chaos theory. But he didn't do it just to make the audience think that, oh, he's so smart, he knows these things. But rather, what kind of interesting dramatic narrative can I craft Mm -hmm. from these ideas? Mm -hmm. So, for example, with something like chaos theory... uh, one thing that you get a lot of in Ligeti is you have some kind of system that starts off in an orderly manner, and then there's one glitch, something that gets in in the cog wheel, so to say, and makes everything start spinning out of control. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a very uh, absorbing and impressive dramatic effect. It's not just that we're trying to translate something mathematical into music for the sake of it, but that it creates a new kind of narrative. And this is what I tried to do. So um, whether it was this idea that, for example, time changes 
um, depending on how close one is to an, uh, an object of, of large gravitational mass. Mm -hmm. For example, uh, this could influence how certain musical motifs transform as they move in space on the stage, mm -hmm. for example. So, you know, that, 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 that's one idea. Um, and so that's what I tried to look for. What kind of um, ideas and what kind of theories might translate into interesting, purely musical effects that mm -hmm. will stand on their own convincingly without needing further explanation to make them seem convincing. Oh, because okay. I, 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 yeah, I, I really do believe that the music should be able to speak for itself mm -hmm. and shouldn't require extra information for it to seem convincing. So yeah, that you, was certainly the, the, the objective there. You're, you're also very inspired by the visual. And yes. I know you have scored for film. Yes. Uh, what, is, what is your inspiration in mind for, the, for film scoring? How does it differ from um, all the rest of your compositions? Well, a film is very unique because um, one gets a finished product and then one has to write for it. Mm -hmm. it's, it's very different from any kind of collaboration where there's really a back and forth. Mm -hmm. Because with film, I mean, sometimes you might get an early cut just to start getting some ideas, but you really need to have all the timings in place before you can actually write so right. that you're not chasing after the directors in the middle of sequencing something. So one gets a finished product, and then one has to somehow fit one's own vision into something that's almost ready. Mm -hmm. It's a very different kind of approach. And yes. there the question is, how do... I try to bring out and enhance things that are already there instead of trying to impose my own vision on something which might not respond to it very mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. So this is very much what I try to do and almost do this kind of experiment that if I were to close my eyes and listen to the music that I wrote, do I see what I would otherwise be seeing on the film? Interesting. So, Interesting. Um, and the film in question? So, for example, one film that I'm thinking about right now is this is this very abstract short film I did called Walking Painting mm -hmm. with Fabienne Verdier, who is an absolutely remarkable painter. And she developed this very interesting technique of painting, which involves gravity. So it actually tries to get into the material, uh, into the materiality of paint and... Um, what she does is she actually applies paint through a funnel, a kind of funnel, mm -hmm. from a distance onto the canvas. And as it hits the canvas, it creates these interesting reverberations and kind of mm -hmm. volcanic shapes. And she can adjust how wide the funnel is and the direction it goes in and so forth. And And this film actually slows down this moment of the paint hitting the canvas. And really shows these incredible patterns. So I was thinking, okay, how am I going to reflect this in music? And I had two options. Either I would try to mimic what I was seeing as closely as possible, mm -hmm. something we tend to call Mickey Mousing <laughs> in film. So, you know, like yeah. in cartoons where, you know, if you move your hand to the right, there's one note and then you fall down the stitch and then there's another sound. So everything is 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 uh, copied mm -hmm. in, in a musical sense or do I step back from it and create an abstract picture of what's going on from in a slightly kind of refracted manner and that's what I felt would be more true to her own intentions uh -huh. so I, I came up with with a kind of score that tried to stay as close to the spirit of what she, what it was that she was doing without 
copying what was on the screen too closely because that's something you already see. So Very I think what the music should do is perhaps give another layer of, layer of meaning to what you're seeing rather than just translating the visuals into a musical um, soundtrack mm-hmm. as faithfully as possible. Mm-hmm. Good for you. Yeah. Now, with your winning of the Honin's uh, piano competition, Nicholas, um, do you have any recording contracts or projects oh, yes. in the offering? Yeah, Honin's will be releasing on their own label mm-hmm. um, recordings from the competition. Mm-hmm. And I will have my debut recording with Hyperion. Very exciting. Yes, and we are now in discussions about scheduling and programming and all and that. Programming, and then yeah. it's all very exciting. And, Will you and be doing some of your own competition, uh, own compositions? It's possible. We'll mm-hmm. see. We'll see. There are a number of different possibilities that we're looking at. So, so we are we are figuring out the the, the, the best options for, for for the WCD. But uh, I have my recitals coming up next season at. In places like Carnegie and Wigmore and, and the Concerthaus Berlin and my compositions will certainly feature on those programs. So I will be presenting exciting. myself as a composer, pianist, pianist, composer. So now in all of those. We have, we've heard about you as being the wunderkind and the auteur well. here in, <laughs> in film scoring and your compositions. Every, everything sounds like it's in balance. But to get the real balance, well, what are you, um, what is a normal day like for you? Nicholas? Well, so, of course, I have time set aside to practice, though I don't like to practice more than four hours a day, um, at least at the piano. Um, I feel like more than that can be a bit counterproductive, like okay. the, the law of diminishing returns starts to kick in after after too many hours. But I do a lot of practice mentally, mm-hmm. actually, away from mm-hmm. the instrument, so that's a big part of what I do. And, of course, I have time set aside for composing when I can. But there are other things that are central to my uh, regimen, uh, my routine, such as yoga, or exercising. Um, I'm big on qigong and tai chi and all that. Very I'm very interested in. And I'm big on meditation as well. Fabulous. It, it, it keeps me... You're finding your inner self and keeping it. Oh, yes, yes. And especially when, when um, one is playing competition round after competition round oh, yes. or or <laughs> flying into some place and playing a concert that day or all that you know it's a difficult profession because one has to deal with a lot of discomfort and sleepless nights and uncomfortable hotel right. beds but then step onto the stage and be ready to and be brilliant be, be brilliant and take yourself and the audience to somewhere else and you have and you, know, and you have Nicholas Namaratsa. We found out through this interview mm-hmm. that you are mortal, and I'm thrilled well, um, to that because you bring your humanity. And even though his work as a pianist and composer suggests that he has been on this earth for a lifetime, he is only beginning. Mm-hmm. And the beauty is that we have a lifetime of listening to him as we watch his rise to fame. Nicholas Namaradsta, I want to thank you for being on Center Stage. Thank you so much. We're going to go out with one of your pieces. Yes. An this, etude? This will be, yes, my, my third piano etude, Moving Mirrors. And I Beautiful. think we will hear the very end of the piece. Thank you so much. This is Pamela Kuhn. And the curtain is now down on Center Stage. <laughs> ¶¶ 